If I asked everyone here to raise their hand if you are angry with someone, have called someone a fool, are a married person who has looked at another with lust, have been divorced, or have proclaimed, I swear, would anyone here not have their hand raised? I know my hand would be up. Yet I find it hard to believe that every one of us here is going to hell. Now I encounter a lot of people who have come into the Episcopal Church from more Puritan traditions or from highly dogmatic Roman Catholic backgrounds. And they have come into the Episcopal Church from those churches that have taken passages like this more literally and have institutionalized them, focusing on guilt and punishment and not on blessing. Not that the Episcopal Church hasn't done a fair amount of that as well. Ironically, in this passage, Jesus is urging his followers to shift their focus from the outward behavior of obedience to the law to our inner attitudes, to the content of our character. Because you can follow the law outwardly without having a heart for God. Jesus' concern in this passage is with broken relationships, the things that break relationships, and with promoting supportive reconciled relationships that reflect the kingdom of God. Our relationship with God and the life of the faith community depends on mutuality. Now when we look at this class, this passage, we need to be clear that Jesus is using a lot of hyperbole to make his point. There's a lot of strong and stark pronouncements and images in this passage, and they are intentional hyperbole. Many years ago, I was with an ecumenical group traveling uh, through Greece, and we went to a convent in Meteora, and an Orthodox nun was showing us around the convent and then took us into the chapel, and above the altar was this incredible icon painting of the last judgment with people ascending up into heaven and then on the other side this fiery vision of people descending into hell where they were being physically devoured by a horned devil. And the nun described this whole scene to us of the last judgment and then turned around and said now of course This is a metaphor. (laughs) Sometimes we forget that. In the passage, Jesus says, if you are angry with someone, you should reconcile with them first before making your offering at the altar. This is actually what we are enacting at the exchange of peace 
in our service today before the offering of bread, wine, and money at the altar. Fortunately, here at St. John's, it is often a very pleasant time of people greeting friends, wishing well to one another. It's sort of like a pre-coffee hour, coffee hour. But part of the intent of the exchange of peace is reconciliation. We become reconciled before we make our offering and then share Eucharist. So if there is anyone here this morning you need to reconcile with, be sure to exchange the peace of Christ with them. Did any of you watch that great Warriors Thunder game last night? With all the fans taunting Kevin Durant and all the trash talk between Westbrook and Durant. And at the end of the game, none of the players would shake hands with each other. That is not how to do the peace. (laughs) Now, the, the rather stark parts of this passage on marriage need to be seen within their historical context of Jewish antiquity, which is a very different cultural, historical, and religious content uh, context than our own. From our own perspective, and even looking at marriage then, to understand this passage, we need to understand the fundamental faith question about marriage. The fundamental faith question is, does the marriage reflect the kingdom of God? Is it an icon of God's love in the world? Marriage, as the Episcopal Church wedding liturgy says, is intended by God for the mutual joy of the couple. If there is no mutual joy then the relationship does not serve its purpose. And if it cannot be reconciled, then divorce might be the best way for each partner to move into more life-giving and God-serving relationships. I think the church has finally come to understand that the purpose of marriage is not to not get divorced. Now, the section on swearing, we all do it, right? The section on swearing is really about conducting oneself with integrity. It's about the content of your character. It's about conducting yourself with integrity in private and in public. Fundamentally, it is about telling the truth, even and especially when doing so, is not to your own advantage. I think part of our national anxiety right now is this entire battle over what is truth? What is a fact? What is true? They're not always the same thing, of course. And who gets to decide? I would only say this. If it doesn't reconcile with the truth of the God of love, it's all fake news.
Jesus sets before us the same choice Moses sets before the people. Life or death. Life or death. The emphasis here is on the choices we make. God is always inviting us into relationship. But we are blessed with free will, which is a requirement for a mutually supportive relationship. So we are always making choices to serve God or to serve ourselves. Many of the choices we make are a choice to serve God or to serve ourselves. The passage talks about going to hell or being sent to hell. Hell is self-willed distance from God. To be thrown into hell is to distance ourselves from God by our own action. The counterpoint in Deuteronomy is death. And the best description of death I've read is this. Death, from a faith perspective, death is the slow process of giving ourselves to what does not matter. It's pretty profound. Death is the slow process of giving ourselves to what does not matter. So what does it look like to choose life over death and hell? To choose life is to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. To care for the poor. To fight for justice. To live with integrity. We choose life in the decisions we make every day. I want to share with you a passage I found on sacred possibilities for choosing life. Learn things you have told yourself you would never learn. Enjoy simple things. Play with children. Listen to the stories of seniors. Laugh often. Cry when it is time to cry. Be patient with your own imperfections and those of others. Celebrate mutual joy physically with the one to whom you have given your life. Surround yourself with what you love Walk around the block. Turn off the TV. And I would add, turn off social media every now and then. Invite a stranger to lunch or dinner. Quit doing what is not worth your time. Do something so someone else won't have to. Give money to a cause you care about. Stop arguing. Apologize to someone. 
even if it was their fault. Forgive someone, even if they don't deserve it. Have patience. Stop having patience when it is time to tell the truth. Worship with all your heart. Believe that God loves you. See Christ in people around you. Share God's love with someone who has forgotten it. Search for something deeper and better than your own comfort. Live in the joy beneath it all. God has set before us life and death. There is hell to pay for the choices we make. So choose life.